The worst horror movie I ever saw was fucking great. Hello and welcome to This May Hurt a Bit. My name is James Strayer and this is... John C. Myers. And we are a horror franchise podcast discussing each film in popular and not so popular horror franchises. And today we are giving you a bonus episode talking about In Search of Darkness Part 3. And most importantly, we have the director of the series with us, David Weiner. Say hello, David, and welcome. Hello, David, and welcome. How's Thank it going? you. How's it going, guys, I'm happy to be here and happy to have you guys have me on. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, I was Thank excited for this. Yeah, because um, I had watched the first two in this series when they first came out on Shudder and what, ni- 2019 and 2021-ish? What were uh, the years 2019 Well, yeah. Well, they came out in 2019 and 2020, mm-hmm. uh, and, and Shudder subsequently would carry them, I think, in 2019 and 2020. I don't even know. Listen, okay. I should not know, and I'm the guy. Yeah. I, I know the when guy. they originally came out, but 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 the shutter release dates are actually escaping me right now. But right. yes, they it's it's crowdfunded projects that we we have backers back it. We make this film, we give it directly to the backers, mm-hmm. uh, and we we make and manufacture this stuff and distribute it ourselves. Uh, and everything else is gravy. And so uh, to have shutter amplify uh in search of darkness trilogy uh having one two and three on is is just an absolute uh treat and the cherry on top for us for more and more people to discover uh our our long form indie backed documentaries nice yeah and for for anybody who out there is listening does not know what these are can you just give a general overview of of your series yeah, sure. So uh, it's called The In Search of Darkness, part one, part two, part three. So it's a trilogy. Uh, Creator VC is the company. Uh, Robin Block is the CEO and executive producer. He's the brainchild behind this. Uh, uh, he started with In Search of the Last Action Heroes, which was a documentary about 80s action movies. Uh, that was directed by Oliver Harper. Uh, and then he, as he was doing that, he said, this is a, this is a flexible idea. We could do other decades and we could do other genres. And so horror in the eighties was something that he really wanted to do. And so we crowdfunded in such darkness. Uh, and he wanted to go from 1980 to 1989 and do as many movies as possible. And when I came on board, I wanted to, uh, definitely do that and then expand it. With uh, larger context chapters in between, we sit down in front of upwards of 50 people, at least for the first one, uh, to talk about this era. And so people like John Carpenter, Heather Langenkamp, Barbara Crampton, they're talking about what it was like to be in these movies. But they also talk about their favorites that they're not even in. And it's a it's a big celebration uh, of people who are in front of the camera, behind the camera, experts of and every movie that we've gotten to do, uh, part two and part three, we're diving deeper. We're going more worldly, more global with the titles. And uh, it's basically a big celebration of the whole VHS era. So lots of straight to video stuff, lots of shot on video stuff, uh, lots of creativity and uh, a love of practical effects and I'll, I'll lastly say that it's kind of like hanging out with these horror legends in a bar it, and and the bar closes, but you get to sit with them until four in the morning, swapping <laughs> tales and having drinks and laughs. And uh, it has a real, real intimate feel. I love that. Yeah. And so one and two came out on Shudder and I think three came out on Shudder not long ago, uh, mm-hmm. but three is getting a special Blu-ray release, correct? 
Yeah, well, so so all three uh, have been released on Blu-ray, and uh, they the backers have received them. And now that the backers have received them, we want to make it available to anyone and everyone who wants physical media media in their hands. Uh, streaming comes, streaming goes, but physical media is as forever as you want it to be. Uh, we want some of this stuff to collect us. That means we've had it for a while and we can grab it whenever we want, especially when it's not on streaming. So yeah, we're having a flash sale that's going until April 11th, Tuesday, April 11th next week. Go to 80shorrordoc.com where you can get part one, part two, part three. You can get the whole trilogy and a box with it for that. Comes with cool posters, digital downloads of the movies and the, and the soundtrack. Uh, just lots of goodies and tidbits. And uh, if you're the ultimate horror fan or you're just wanting to learn about a decade that you might not have even been around for, but everyone talks about, this is your opportunity to jump on it. We're a small company. We do this ourselves. Uh, it's not like this is always on sale. It, it, we do it in batches where we manufacture it. And so this is while supplies last. And, and when stock runs out, that's it for a while. We don't even know when it'll be available again. So uh, I'm here not only to talk about the trilogy and just talk about the genre and whatever you guys want to talk about, but just to let people know that uh, they should go to 80shorrordoc.com and our socials, 80shorrordoc on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, where you can get all the info about it. Nice, nice. So, so you, you said that, that this was a, a crowdfunded thing. So you, I imagine that a lot of the backers are big horror heads. And how did you balance that trying to make something for these horror heads that maybe, yeah, I know all about this already versus new, you know, new people or people just kind of like dipping their toe in the pool for the first time? That's a great question because uh, it's very, very hard to please all of the people all of the time, isn't it? Right. It's just not it's not a, a, a task that's really possible. But I wanted to be able to balance at least something where if you're a hardcore fan, there's always some new information. And even if you if you know it all and people really do know it all, um, I, I don't claim to know it all. I know a thing or two about a thing or two. But ultimately, uh, I want to be able to appeal to people who know it all, but they get to see the people that they love and maybe find out a couple new nuggets of information, but ultimately get a time capsule of people who are part of one of the greatest decades of filmmaking. Uh, but for people who are brand new to the genre, I did want to make it pretty uh, simplified in, in its structure. So it's almost like a like a flight, a taster, you know, of 80s horror. And you can have a sip. And if you really like it, you can get the bottle later. But uh, we're just going to keep on going to the next drink. And uh, we want to sort of entertain you and inform you at the same time. And uh, when when I when I did um, uh, I, I ran Famous Monsters of Filmland, the magazine, I was the editor in uh, 2015 and 2016. And that was absolutely fun for me. And 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 it was very important for me then when I would uh, whether I would be contemporary whether I'd be covering a contemporary title or doing a retrospective on a title from decades ago, I did not want to assume that everybody knew everything. I wanted to be, be able, you know, I'm basically repeating myself for what I did. You know, I want people to be able to uh, feel welcome to find out a little more. And I know that if you know it already, you could you can handle a little explanation of what the plot is or who it stars in. You could skip that over. And get to the meat of it. But there are some people who really do need that that welcome uh, handholding in the beginning. And 
I feel that way about everything. And I, I also feel that it's important for, for you guys with a podcast like this and for, for me making documentaries like this and for filmmakers who, who are a little older, maybe graying around the temples a little bit, uh, to hold the hand of brand new people who are really interested in the genre, but need someone to curate this stuff, you know, and, and, and for someone to explain why is it nostalgic? If I don't feel nostalgic about it, but I want to learn more because everyone keeps talking about this stuff, you know, show me the way. Mm -hmm. And that's really kind of what these movies are about. Was that, yeah. was that then by sort of by design that, that you had the voices, the only voices in this be the, the people that created it and the fans of it versus sort of an overarching narrator talking about it. Was it yes, sort of yes, a way I, to yeah. just keep it exciting? Cause I know certainly like, you know, okay, I've seen, uh, you know, I've seen uh, Return of the Living Dead, but hearing them, hearing the cast talk about it is, is tons of fun. It's a, it's an oral history, you know, uh, and, and uh, we, we talked about very early on, is this something where we would have some narration and narration, there's nothing wrong with that. And I think it's very helpful, but I, I think the people who were there themselves, like you said, telling their own stories is the most uh, direct way of, of getting someone's perspective on what it was like back then. And uh, I, I think that's the most appealing way is when someone's telling you that directly, you really connect with it. Um, there's some uh, overarching authority when you have a narration that uh, intentionally or unintentionally inserts opinion uh, and perspective that is of the filmmaker of the documentary. And, and for me, it's important to have conflicting opinions, uh, conflicting perspectives. Uh, I, I don't want radically opposing ones, but if there are some in there, I think it's important to, uh, to highlight. But uh, I, I want this to be a celebration. Some people might think it's a little, it, it might not be critical enough, but that's not what these movies are about. These movies are about uh, an appreciation of a genre that is does not go appreciated outside of the confines of the genre. Uh, most people still to this day, I, I constantly see, I just don't get horror. Why would people do that? You know, why would people want to watch that? Why would they want to subject that, that to themselves to that? Or it's just too scary and I don't get it. You know, my mom does get it my mom like my wife doesn't like to watch it because it's too scary um but the people like us who who just live and breathe this stuff um we're actually not all serial killers we're we're smart thinking individuals who just like to be entertained and maybe uh go a little therapeutic uh when we watch some of this stuff um that's ultimately why this stuff is important and i think these films lastly i'll say is that especially with uh, arguably, quote unquote, bottom of the barrel stuff when you get to part three. A lot of people say, oh, they're scraping the bottom of the barrel. All of these movies, uh, it's not a question of is it good or bad? Is It's a question of uh, is it important to you? Do you have a, a, a sense memory of watching it with your, your friend, your cousin, your dad, your brother, your sister, probably when you shouldn't have? You know, uh, was it was it in a movie theater that you love to go to? Did you escape from the house because mom and dad were yelling at each other? You know, it's not about the movie itself. It's about the, the, the experience that surrounds this movie that makes it important to you. And uh, to be able to get nostalgic about it, maybe learn something about it, and even maybe talk to some of the people who were part of it, uh, it really triggers uh, something in 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 the ether of your brain that uh, just makes this stuff like candy. It's cotton candy, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And there's, there's there's a ton. I started keeping a list of all these movies I wanted to see or, or recheck out that, that would be featured in it. And there's a ton in part three, particularly of the the more sort of global, the J Japanese horror and stuff like that. 
even uh, like Doctor and Devils and stuff like that. But it also, like you said to that, I remember when when you did uh, uh, Relentless, which I did not realize was a Bill Lustig movie. Like that immediately put me back. That was one of the first R-rated movies I saw, and I was at a, spending mm-hmm. the night at a friend's house, and it was totally just like, oh, I remember like. I'm an adult. I'm watching an adult film and uh, not that <laughs> yeah. kind, but, uh, uh, yeah. but it totally just, yeah, just flooded back that nostalgia in a, in a really positive way. It, it, it does it for itself and you either connect to it or you don't. Um, Relentless also, I was going to say is one of those films where by that point, no, they weren't, it's not called a horror movie. It's called a thriller or yes. a psychological <laughs> thriller, yeah. you know, because uh, uh, studios and filmmakers and marketers were trying to get away from slashers you know, uh, so even if it's the exact same thing as what a slasher would do, they they have to spin it a different way. But, yeah, you know, you just take anything, whether it's Cisco and Ebert, you know, clutching their pearls about how <laughs> horror movies are terrible or, uh, you know, the HBO logo or, you know, even a picture of, uh, you know, the box that we had on top of our televisions where you click, you, yep. you, you know, click these flat buttons, brown box, know, black uh, buttons. All you have to yeah. do is show that. And, and you don't even have to say word but if that mm-hmm. was part of your experience um our, our generation uh and and some of us who are a little older who experienced going to the video store yep it's kind of funny because when we went to the video store we didn't say yay we're at the video store what a great experience it was sort of a mission this mm-hmm. was the place where you you had the library of movies at your disposal that you hoped to get or you wanted to check out. There was some excitement, especially if it was something that was planning your your entertainment for the weekend. But no one thought what a what a great experience going to the video store, reading things, checking it out, you know, mm-hmm. maybe hiding it under Bambi. So, you know, <laughs> yep. if it's uh-huh. cannibal ho- apocalypse <laughs> or you know, cannibal ho- holocaust, you mm-hmm. know, you won't be embarrassed. But um, ultimately, when we look back at this stuff now, it's it's an experience that's gone now. It's essentially gone. And uh, I don't think we realized what we had when we had it. And then and once it's gone, it, it takes on an entirely new meaning for all of us. Yeah. When you mentioned uh, talking to the people who were involved, did you, I mean, I don't want you to pick your favorite child, but did you have a favorite <laughs> person that you talked to with a favorite anecdote? I mean, there were a couple of that jumped out at me, just uh, purely the director of Extro just saying like, I don't yes. know what that movie was about. <laughs> Are you kidding me? And that was so much fun because I really do enjoy that movie and just getting to hear him talk. Well, and that's that's fun because that uh, uh, he, he actually singled out a, a, a journalist who kind of gave him yes. word to you know sort of gave him the crib the crib notes you know <laughs> uh, the cliff notes but um, uh, I for me when I first came out to I I, when I went to film school in upstate New York in Ithaca College and uh, studied film theory and film production. And then I graduated and I headed straight west. Yeah. And one of the fir- and pretty much the first job, not the first film set job, but the f- first film job I got was at Full Moon Entertainment. Nice. Uh, and that's Charlie Band's company, you know. Uh, and and in the 80s, he was doing, you know, amazing stuff like Reanimator and, you know, dolls and things like that with uh Stuart Gordon from Beyond. Uh, and so many other titles that we that we know about and and sci-fi stuff. He was like the Roger Corman, but even a little step down yeah. with the budget, arguably, if that's mm-hmm. possible. Um, so for me to be able to work with Charlie, sorry, to for me to be able to sit down with Charlie Band uh, for part three of this, uh, a guy I worked for, 
And to sort of pick his brain from kind of the other side of the the coin now, uh, and being able to celebrate his the history and his his uh, absolute pioneering influence when it came to uh, taking advantage of the the VHS explosion and and making a mint out of a it's like a gold mine, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm jumping, so the answer is Charlie Band, and it was really yeah. fun. And you know, I sat down with him, and you know, I, I reminded him just like you know when I first worked out. Yeah, here I work for you. And his first response, instead of like, oh, great, he went, uh oh. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But he was great and he was great to work for. But, uh, you know, it's a whole different track, you know, working at Full Moon Entertainment. Um, But it's just very cool to look back at that stuff and, 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 and talk about how. You know, even just the way he he's he's just a businessman through and through who's also a very creative person. And uh, people, we you and we know, uh, but I like to remind people that you didn't have the instant gratification of being able to take a movie and pop it into a machine and watch it as many times as you wanted right. uh, mm-hmm. until the VHS revolution. Uh, and and people might say, well, yeah, that's obvious. But for someone who was there before, and then during, and then after, then the streaming world we're in now of. of absolute instant gratification versus actually going to a video store to get it. It's just amazing. Uh, it really just changed everything. Mm-hmm. And video store owners wanted the the lowest common denominator because that's the stuff that would sell the most. They might have Sophie's Choice, you know, a copy of that, but they'll have 10 copies of, you know, uh, whatever the lowest common denominator Italian horror was there because that's the stuff that would get all the traction. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's funny because you have... You have several people and uh, for, for my money, personally, I loved Kelly Maroney. I thought like I was not expecting to be just, just as gobsmacked with with her as I was. But she's a fantastic interviewer or interviewee. And an but, absolute um, sweetheart. Absolute sweetheart. It seems like in, it. Yeah. In, in real life. But just this um, that acknowledgement. And and there's a whole thing at the end of, of part three. No spoiler alert, I guess. But uh, where Joe, Joe Bob Briggs talks about how like you guys, this was all just cynical and, and just for money. <laughs> And I feel like there's a lot of stuff for with horror people where they're like, yeah, absolutely. It was, this was great. And <laughs> right. was it, was it sort of difficult or was it a concern to kind of try to capture that those sort of conflicting views of like, yeah, stuff was all cynical and made for money, but it was so much fun and great at the same time. Or was it just natural, like water to just have these things flow together? Well, it, it was very natural because uh, I would ask people the same, you know, not the exact same questions, but I'd ask people essentially the same questions about their projects, uh, you know, in terms of the generality of, of, of the influence or the impact or the the uh, intention behind it. Uh, and and everyone had different answers. You know, some people said, I, I barely, I, I have no idea why people like this. Some people said we knew we were doing some something special and unique. Some people said if only we had more money, if only we had better distribution. If some people saying, I, you know, I'm, I'm shocked that it even made it to the video store. I mean, they're all different answers. Uh, I don't think anyone deceives themselves that these movies were. Uh, if you are going to put them on, on a, a scale of, of great and not great, you know, uh, there are great movies here, but everyone's definition of, of great is very different. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm a very, fo- I'm very fond of saying art is, is what you perceive it to be, you know, and, and one person's 
trash is another person's treasure and everybody's different. And, and if we all try and keep some even playing field that, that is the barometer for everything, it just, it's, it's, it doesn't work. It doesn't even work for the Oscars. You know, yeah. this is what made best picture this year. This is what got picked out of that crop for best picture. You know, these are all the people who got snubbed, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's endless as to the ultimate choice that the, the top show of top shows makes. And it's still controversial. So what mm-hmm. does that tell you? That just tells you uh, everyone loves different things for different reasons. And so, like I say, it is a celebration because uh, no one, unless you're watching Shudder, for example, you know, very, very few people get to see celebration of any of these films. Mm-hmm. You know, any of these films getting a spotlight, any of these movies saying, remember this, let's talk about it for a couple minutes or put a spotlight on why it was important or how it fits into the zeitgeist or even if it's a forgettable film, uh, it's it's an important piece of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. You know, um, this stuff, uh, ultimately, it, it told its own tale and I just captured it and shaped it into something that I hope was moved fast and was entertaining for a four to five plus hour film. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. John and I both work in, in production and John is an editor. And so we, we love to like get in the weeds of production and editing, uh, sometimes on this and, sure. uh, just, I mean, John is probably better qualified to ask this than me, but like, I like, how did you even begin to take all this footage and organize it into, I mean, beyond just splitting it up by year, which of uh-huh. course that's your first structure, but like, how do you even begin to just put this in front of a, an editor or assistant editor and just say, all right, go. And was it always going to be five and a half hours? Was it just going to be as long as it needed to be? But part part one was going to be maybe two hours. And if we re- reached our stretch goal, we might go to three hours, you know, mm-hmm. so two, two and a half to three hours. Uh, but as soon as we determined that this was the the structure and format of the film, uh, mathematically, it just was already flying past four hours, uh, you know, with, with 10 chapters in between 10 years. Uh, whether everything is five, you know, two minutes, three minutes, five minutes, you're already going way past four hours mathematically, even if you haven't shot a frame and you're saying this is, this is what we want to approach and, and accomplish. Uh, I'll single out right away. Samuel Way is the editor of all three in search of darkness movies and in search of tomorrow, the 80s sci-fi one I did. He is fantastic. Uh, and, uh, he, he's in the UK. We, I'm in Los Angeles. So we use the eight hour time difference to our, to our, uh, benefit. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. That sounds great. Mm-hmm. And so I'll, 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 whatever I am doing for that day, you know, we'll communicate in real time at a certain window of the day, end of his day and beginning of my day. But fundamentally, I work on something and I hand it to him and then I go to sleep. Yep. <laughs> and, and you wake up. He's waking up and he's working on it and mm-hmm. I wake up and I've got a bunch of things. And uh, I think that's a, one of the ways that we accomplish getting uh, such a long form film done essentially in a year and change. You know, if you don't if you don't include the, you know, the lead in of the you know, the, um, development and, 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 uh, marketing and all that kind of stuff and, you know, uh, pre-production elements, but ultimately we pull, turn this around in a pretty, uh, fast clip. 
Uh, it's a lot of work. It, it's very draining. But to ultimately answer your question, and tell me when this becomes an extremely long-winded answer, because I could give you the short version or the long version. <laughs> this is version, a podcast. It's fine. <laughs> That's what these are about. I'll speak a little slower, yeah. too. <laughs> Thank you. Fill that time. So, so ultimately... Um, at least for the first one, when we realized that this was going to go longer and you've got a decade that has anywhere between 700 to over a thousand horror films. If you're counting, you know, mixed genres and, and all sorts of other stuff, uh, there's just, just way too much stuff. No way you could fit it in the first film. Uh, and we never knew we were going to do a part two or part three or anything else. So I made a very difficult decision, one that I wanted to do only North American films, yeah. uh, cause I felt that's a little more manageable. Mm -hmm. Also, listen, you want some success and you want to please horror fans. So I figured if I do a lot of the heavy hitters and a lot of eclectic titles, that's kind of a good mixture. Uh, and, and within that, I wanted to make sure I got plenty of sequels as well. So like if I was doing Friday, then this is what your podcast is all about. You know, when movies go on and on and on and you're in Nightmare on Elm Street territory or in Friday the 13th territory, you're even in Halloween territory or Hellraiser territory it, or Child's Play territory, <laughs> you know, or or chainsaw territory. It just goes on and on and on and on and on. At one point, do you decide what, what should I omit, you know, and, and do I get raked over the coals if I don't include X, Y, or Z? Uh, I already have chapters in between uh, covering everything from practical effects to, uh, you know, the, the pop culture zeitgeist and, and the socio-political climate of the era, you know, and the final girls, the, the music and, and sound design. I don't have the time to also put, you know, we'll do a whole chapter on one particular franchise, all of the Friday the 13th. Also, that's kind of been done mm -hmm. long form. Right. You know, you've got yeah. crystal Lake Lake memories. memories. Mm -hmm. They did yeah. it longer. They did it better. They had the time to do it, you know. Mm -hmm. So um, these are things that I think about where uh, we're also going out to talent and our balance of talent, whether it's, uh, you know, musicians or practical effects, craftspersons or uh, actors, directors, writers, producers, um, experts, uh, to give some context. Uh, these are all the things where when you ultimately assemble the group that you've got and uh, you have to draw a line when you want everybody. But there are some people who say yes. Some people say no. Some people don't respond. Most people don't know who you are because you're a brand new documentary <laughs> right. the first time around. Um, these are also what uh, informs what you're ultimately going to be putting in in terms of uh, you know content. Mm -hmm. And then when you get to part two, which I was so happy that we were going to do, I'm like, all right, now I can go international. Now I could do all the Italian horror that people wish I did in the first. Now, Robert Englund, I have his attention. And he actually wants to do my movie. Now, Tom Savini, who I wanted and said yes for part one, but we just couldn't make our schedules work. Now he's like, how come I'm not in the first one? And I'm like, I asked. He's like, all right, let's, let's get it done. Yep. You know? Uh, so there's an evolution process there. Uh, and uh, by the time we got to In Search of Darkness 3, I, I was primed to be able to add more uh, experts uh, for a, a wider variety of people, bring in more talent. Uh, carry over so many of the interviews that like we did in part two to also part three, because everyone I sat down with, it was just an absolute dream. It wasn't like I sat down with people for a half an hour. I had everybody for 
anywhere from 45 minutes to on the average an hour and a half to sometimes two hours to Robert Englund sat with me for three hours, oh. you know? Oh, wow. Makes Absolute me happy. Dream. Mm-hmm. Absolute dream. And he didn't let me get a word in edgewise. Yeah, I believe it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's an amazing, he crafts a whole tale. Yes. Um, so uh, it, it's just really great that you get to do that. And I don't know, I feel like I've answered your question, but if mm-hmm. there's a more technical specific thing, but I can answer it. But uh, ultimately, this is how this kind of thing evolves. And and fundamentally, it's like, what do I think people want to see? What do I think people will be mad if it's not in there? Who do I have to talk about it? Uh, now that I have certain people, I need to do some of the stuff that's lesser known that they've been into that some people might not really care for, but other people will say, that's great. You know, you had Caroline Williams, you know, stretch from Ch- Texas Chainsaw Massacre too, And she's done so many other horror films, you know, mm-hmm. if she's going to talk about stepfather too, and getting how she got killed, you know, and reshoots and things like that, you got to include that. And, and, Bill Mosley talking about Silent Night, Deadly Night right. 3, you know, that kind of stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, three or four? He's no, in three. Three. Yes. Okay. There you yeah. go. Yeah. So sticking with the idea of the franchises, what effect do you think that those franchises had on all of the other films? Do you think that producers were chasing the success of those franchises and trying to mirror them? You know, we see that with all a lot of the slashers, of course, with Friday the 13th and such. But there are so many other thousands of films out there that could also just be like, well, we want to go against that. We're tired of seeing Jason and Freddy and all those big guys. Do you think that there were just enough, just as many people going in the opposite directions? Yeah, well, this, this, if you look at the 80s very specifically, it was mm-hmm. an absolute explosion of cinema in, in terms of the horror genre. And like I said, uh, even in the 90s, you know, it, it just was not the same. There was, there were so many films. Uh, and that was the result of, of filmmakers and producers looking at the success yeah. of everything from Halloween and Friday the 13th to I want to make my own franchise. I want to make my own iconic villain to the point when I, I was, I was a seventies kid and an eighties teen. And you know, when you're a teen, you're, you're both excitable and cynical at the same time as you're getting older. So I was like, I see through this. I, I see, you know, this Freddy Krueger, you know, as much as I loved other earlier Wes Craven stuff, I'm like, and, and I, don't get me wrong. Let me clarify now. I love all these franchises and these characters, but some had to grow on me a lot later with many franchise installments because I would see, oh, you know, Pinhead, Freddy, Chucky, you know, they're trying to have a Jason or a Leatherface or a Michael Myers. Everyone's saying, I want to play this game too. I want to create not just one, but create a whole franchise around these these people, uh, these characters. Uh, and it also elevated independent filmmakers who were one and done with any character because they also saw the success that you could spend a little money and get a lot of return on your investment with this particular genre. You know, you could make a movie that that may never be seen again, but you you could you could get all your money back and then some on the first weekend or two, and then disappear from view, and and you are now a millionaire. It was like mm-hmm. that out there, especially with with video right. distribution. Um, and and in Search of Darkness Three, we talk a little bit about that. Where um, if a producer was ma- videotapes when they when they were first being sold, they were being sold only to the video stores 
consumer couldn't buy it. So they cost anywhere between fifty and a hundred dollars per tape. And they thought, well, it's it's high, it's a high you know price point. But then people own it, and then they can just rent it as many times as they want, and they'll make their money back. But if you were the producer or the distributor who was doing that, and you 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 did that in you know a hundred dollars, think about it, a hundred dollars per tape, and spread that on ten thousand, fifteen thousand, twenty thousand, thirty thousand video stores that were popping up everywhere who wanted you know, content, you just, you know, you're picking out your, your mansion and your pool, you know, mm-hmm. the next day, it's pretty much like that. Man. But uh, I, I, I'll, I'll just wrap up in, in terms of that question, just by saying I ultimately came around uh, and passed up my cynicism uh, by, I, I was the first person to go to Friday the 13th part, you know, seven or, you know, Freddie, you know, dream warriors. Cause I was just like, these guys are here to stay. I love horror movies. This is a fun Friday night. I don't care. This is great. Or even Stephen King, which you might not get a lot of sequels, but he was he was the name in horror, uh, whether you were reading it or whether you were seeing it on TV, but especially in the 80s, seeing it on the big screen. That was kind of like a franchise too, you mm-hmm. know. I, I I went to the opening night of Graveyard Shift. Absolutely, you know, no one else did. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I was like, listen, it's probably not going to be good, but it's Stephen King, and it's I, I read the short story. Let's see it, you know. So uh, I, I came around uh, beyond my teenage cynicism to uh, understanding that this is very important for the health of the rest of the industry. Mm-hmm. Do you have a particular favorite genre of horror? Um. I will I will freely admit that it's not the slasher genre. Uh mm-hmm. although Halloween is one of my favorite movies and and Michael Myers and I do love Jason as well, but uh I like when it goes a little more supernatural. Uh American Werewolf is one of my favorite movies. I grew up with universal horror and monsters and everything from, you know, Creature from the Black Lagoon and the Mole People, you know, to, mm-hmm. you know, for- Dracula and Frankenstein to Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. This stuff was my bread and butter growing up, you know, opposite Godzilla and, and Kaiju movies. And so, um, in the eighties, when everything had evolved quite a bit, I still was very happy to have a monster running around. Yes. So if it was, you know, rawhead Rex or humanoid from the deep humanoids from the deep, uh, uh American werewolf and, and, um, Gosh, even even Cujo, which I, yeah. I found to be a very difficult film to watch. Yep. I read the book. Mm. I loved the book. I saw the movie. I couldn't finish it the first time I watched it because I found it way too realistic and relentless. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I go for the monsters uh, in terms of that. But I also love supernatural stuff because I really, really loved The Omen. I really, really loved... Uh, uh, so I love the trilogy, you know, uh, although two is a little, you know, not very strong. Uh, and um, uh, vampire. I mean, listen, I'm just you asked me for one answer and I'm yeah. incapable. <laughs> of giving you. Like most horror fans. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I did get a speak of, of werewolves, though. I did. I, I almost did a spit take when uh, Joe Dante was talking about in the company of wolves. And he said that Neil Jordan was like, well, I want to make something better than the howling. Yeah, well, thanks, he's like, man. Oh, my, my movie shit. So I'm not. I'm not yeah. Really. yeah, Joe's right. great. Joe, Joe, for anyone and everyone knows this, but but Joe Dante is a champion of film and filmmaking yes. and. And as as much as he is a, a great filmmaker who has done very entertaining films, uh, he really carries the torch 
uh, for film history and for a certain era in, the, you know, especially in the sixties and the seventies, but even the classic films that he grew up with and reading famous monsters and so on and so forth. Uh, he will be there practically at the drop of a hat. If, if he can impart his wisdom to, uh, further the, the oral history of, uh, horror and genre film and cult filmmaking. Uh, so he's been a great uh, friend to us uh, and he's in In Search of Tomorrow as well. And probably even when I was doing Famous Monsters, you know, he was, I remember the first time I, I, I sat down with him was actually when Christopher Lee passed away uh, and he sat down with me to do a special, uh, some special memories of, of his, of Christopher Lee's legacy and, and working with him. I just saw him introduce uh, the Tingler at the Overlook Film Festival. Right, because we're reading matinee, and the Tingler is matinee is is memories of the Tingler and William Castle films. Exactly, and you know he was sitting really close to me in the theater, and uh, when everybody was screaming and getting shocked during the Tingler, I looked over at him, and he was just kind of giggling to himself, and he was so in the moment it was so sweet yeah (laughs) yeah that's a great that's a great i'm glad you shared that little nugget of Mm -hmm. detail because that's 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 that speaks volumes right there that says everything you need to know about joe dante man child yes he showed up he introduced it and then he was just smiling the entire Mm. time it was wonderful that's great do you have a favorite, uh, maybe the last franchise question, but do you have a favorite kind of like underseen franchise from the 80s? Because we cover the big ones. Uh, we I'd like to cover more of the smaller ones. I mean, the whole point of a franchise is that it's popular enough to spawn several sequels. However, is there a smaller one that you would recommend our listeners check out? I mean, I... I've seen Class of Newcomb High. I don't think I knew that there were five of those uh-huh. until your documentary. <laughs> right. And yeah, I almost, I yes. almost texted you immediately when that came yes. out. Yes. I was like, oh my yes. God, I was like <laughs> hell yeah, we're going to watch all five of Class of Newcomb High eventually. I would say my favorite, uh, uh, I, with this audience, I don't think they're lesser seen, but uh, sure. I think in terms of uh, when people are talking, Talking about franchises, it rare, the name doesn't pop up as much right. as I think it should, and that's the Phantasm franchise. We just um, did those, yeah. Yes. Although, although <laughs> for my personal uh, appreciation of it, uh, one and two really are the ones that I only return to, and every now and then I return to three or four or even five uh, just to make sure that I didn't miss something that I would appreciate later. I, I am one of those people who is a bit masochistic. Like I always return to movies like Saturn three that I know are, are just not good, <laughs> but I, there's something They're about comforting. the artwork and, and the memories yeah. and, and the promise of it, you know, in the black hole, I'm getting in sci-fi territory. Oh, yeah. I've been thinking about this. I return to these movies because I think about them a lot. They like, they live rent free in my brain. <laughs> you know, so Phantasm 3 kind of lives rent free in my brain and I'll go back to it and I'll be like, yeah, just confirming it's not as good as I want it to be. Mm-hmm. But I still enjoy seeing Reggie Bannister running around and, you yes. know, uh, um, it, it's and, and the fact that Don Coscarelli did did them all. Um, it's just very, very cool. And and if 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 uh, put to the test, I would say even. Phantasm 2 is my favorite of the series versus Phantasm 1 because mm-hmm. it's basically like the aliens of eight compared to alien of Phantasm. Yeah, that's exactly what we were saying when we talked about <laughs> them. Yep, exactly. 
Um, so uh, you were, you were talking about sci-fi stuff. What's what's next for you after now that this trilogy is all wrapped up? Yeah, the trilogy is wrapped up. And so now uh, sites are set on In Search of Tomorrow Part 2. Uh, I did In Search of Tomorrow. Uh, I, I basically released two films last year, which is quite impressive for me because uh, I've never done that before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well done. And yeah. it's quite mm-hmm. a lot of work. And yeah. it just yeah. the timing worked out because In Search of Tomorrow just took a lot longer based on the pandemic, uh, you know, being uh, slightly inconvenient to all of us. Um, but so now we're setting our sights on In Search of Tomorrow Part 2 and like In Search of Darkness 1 and then In Search of Darkness 2 and then 3, we get to this time around now that we got the first one out of the way where you've got, you know, we did Blade Runner, you know, we did Aliens, we did Star Trek and Star Wars and lots of other stuff that you may or may not have heard of. Now we have a little more breathing room to go international, to go straight to video, to do a lot of the cult movies, a lot of the Corman stuff, a lot of the Charlie Band stuff, uh, Lloyd Kaufman stuff, uh, and just sort of get get a little crazier and 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 weirder and more ridiculous. And so I'm really looking forward to that. Um, one of the cool things about the way we do things at Creator VC is is we're a very small company. It's only 10 of us and we're international. Uh, a bunch of us are in the UK. I'm in Los Angeles. Uh, we have another person in California, but we have someone in Texas. We have someone in Berlin. Um, we're all over the map, literally. Uh, uh, and yet we all go to an, into our corners. We, we meet every week. We, we are a constant communication. We go in our corners and we get a lot done because we're all sort of beholden to ourselves, uh, to get this done. Um, and I say that in that it's fans, but you know, it's like we do five, five fans for fans. You know, we are fans through and through of, of genre film and movies and entertainment. And so, um, Robin, uh, leading the charge, loves to in, in, ingratiate the, the people who are interested in our projects. You guys, the fans, the backers, uh, if you love sci-fi, if you love horror, to tell us what you want, to be part of this process, which we try and be as transparent as possible while we're developing these things. What movies do you want to see? Why do you want to see them? You know, who would you want to see us talk to? You know, we survey people, we we do that kind of stuff. And so for In Search of Tomorrow Part 2, which we're going to start crowdfunding this summer, uh, we're doing a, a, a fan consultation right now, where if you go to 80s, horror, uh, sorry, 80s sci-fi doc, uh, our socials are 80s sci-fi doc. If you go to Creator VC, you'll see a, a poster for In Search of Tomorrow Part 2. You click on that. There's a survey you could take, real short, brief survey, but you could share all the things that you'd like to see. There's a synopsis of what the movie's going to be, plus 20 chapters, uh, which won't all make it into the movie. But it's your opportunity to say, that's a cool chapter, but I'd also like to see this in the chapter. Or I really like this chapter. I hope this is the one that, that goes in. Or have you thought about this? A whole other chapter that you haven't even written about. I, I, we're literally having anyone and everyone write on our document. You know, everyone, community, sharing what they want. And uh, so I welcome everyone to take part of this if you're really into it and you, and you want to see what you want to see in our in our film. 
Nice. I know, um, and we it we we can cut this if you're not uh, at liberty to talk about this particular one. But Aliens is my favorite movie of all time, and I'm so excited that you're working on a giant exhaustive documentary about that. How is that going? And is there anything that you can talk about with that? Or are you just in the depth of production with it? Uh, yes, and yes. I'm I'm mm-hmm. at liberty. I'm, I'm at liberty to say uh, we're we're we've got. I think 20 interviews in the can uh, it's being directed by Ian Nathan, uh, uh, amazing author. Uh, uh, he was the former uh, editor of uh, empire magazine in the UK. Uh, and he's written everything from uh, alien vault and terminator vault to bios on James Cameron, Ridley Scott, Peter Jackson, and, and so forth. He knows his stuff. He's a great guy. He has a very, very clear vision we did this also for aliens. You know, we, 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 we did a fan consultation where, you know, look at our synopsis, look, look, look at what Ian wrote, you know, dissect it, tell us what you like, what you don't like, what we, what do you think we're missing, you know, fill out the survey, be, be part of this. And it really helps us uh, uh, make a better film. And what's different about aliens expanded is that in comparison to in search of anything in search of dot, 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 those cover a full decade. Whereas this is one film and, and it's, it's, it's a myop, you know, it's, it's a myopic scope, uh, uh, on, on one of the films that we, we love so dearly, but it's not, it's not, there will be making of elements in it. Absolutely. Uh, but it's not just a making of film, you know, it's about the influence of, of aliens. It's about the, the, the you know, where it fits in the zeitgeist. I'm a big fan of using the zeitgeist because I think it, it really is sort of that slipstream of if, if people have even, haven't even heard of it. Uh, sorry, haven't seen it, but they've heard of it because people talk about it and there's buzz about it. You know, there's something about this movie that to this day. People are still arguing about this is better, that's better. What if this happened? <clears throat> Excuse me. You know, what if the beginning of Alien Three was very different from the way it was? You know, <laughs> I mean, I, I right. have I have a book uh, of the screenplay that wasn't made from William Gibson of Alien Three, uh, which which is like really cool because it's the what if that that was being planned, but they just didn't go that way. Now, you know, this is a focus on aliens, James Cameron's aliens, but. Uh, we're very excited to talk to people who are who were there on the ground, the filmmakers, uh, the people who are in front of the camera, behind the camera, but many, many experts, uh, many surprise names that I think you guys will really, 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 really appreciate, uh, you know, like certain names who were part of... Uh, <laughs> I'm being I'm being cagey and cryptic yes. and showing, showing you the novel. <laughs> right. The, yes. Um, uh, but there's all sorts of really cool stuff and and we're getting more interviews, but uh, we're getting ready to edit this thing and uh, very excited uh, for this film because this is a little different uh, direction for Creator VC. And uh, if this does well, we'll do more uh, solo focused expanded films uh, as well. Great. That's well, awesome. we'd love to have you come back on when that's out, uh, and I'll, I'll be the one talking your ear off about yeah. uh, well, aliens you know I, once that's I, out. So I'd be happy to <laughs> I'd be happy to come back, but I would I would I would actually love for you to probably it's best for you to speak with uh, Ian Nathan. Absolutely. No? Oh yeah. yeah, good call. The right? the director right? of said film. Correct. Exactly. Yes. I'm the executive. I'm the executive producer of this, <laughs> right. uh, along with Robin Block. But Ian Nathan Nathan is the writer and director. And and it's his it's his baby.
Yeah, well, well, send them, send them our way when you are ready, and we'll be glad to. Jim's gonna have, have on problems. Whenever. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> right. You missed this. You missed that. out of the four and a half hours. I didn't get. No, I would never <laughs> yeah. ever do that. Um, but in the meantime, uh, where can everybody go to uh, snag their copy of In Search of Darkness Part Three? 80shorrordoc.com. That's the best place to go between now and and uh, Tuesday, uh, uh, April 11th. And uh, it's while supplies last. So if it goes a little after April 11th, something might be there. But um, that's the place to go. And and you can get you can get the movie standalone. You can get all three. You can get a cool case to carry. You know to hold all three. Plus you get all the cool swag and the posters and stuff. And another thing that we're doing that is super super cool is that uh, if you go to the to eightieshorrordoc.com, um, if you scroll down the page, you're going to see a thing that says checklist, and you can download a PDF. Uh, that lists, and this is something that people have requested ever since part one. So we're finally obliging part one, part two, part three checklist of every single film that we discuss. That's such That's a good a main idea. Film in each year from 80 to 89 times three. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you could just print it out. And uh, if you go to, ha- if you, if you share your, you know, how far along you are, you put hashtag ISOD challenge, ISOD challenge, uh, and you could share your progress. You're like, this is what I've seen. This is what I need to get to. Who's got mm-hmm. this? I can't find this movie. How do I find it? Oh, you know, that's all great. That kind of stuff. And uh, I think it's real fun. And people are really responding to that as well. What a cool yeah, idea. That's great. Like I said, I had a, I had a whole list going so I can just forget about that and just go there. And uh, I, I got to say, I really I really enjoy these movies. I was very leery going into it. You talk about sort of being cynical, or whatever, about going to see Jason. I've just had there's been so many like, hey, remember this? Remember the 80s, whatever. But this was was so much fun and, and informational for even stuff I hadn't seen or I had seen before. Um, and hearing the people talk about it made me super excited for it. It made me think a little bit of there were some complaints about the Edgar Wright documentary about Sparks that the fans were like, well, you didn't tell me enough about him. But what that movie did was made me just a guy super excited about Sparks. And I feel like mm-hmm. this kind of did the same thing where it's like I'm learning a lot, but it's also movies I'd seen before. It made me super excited about those movies again and wanting to check them out again, maybe armed with some new knowledge, if not just with the excitement of like this movie was great. And I think yeah. you captured that really, really well. Thank you so mm-hmm. much. I mean, that's a great compliment. Uh, if you read Letterboxd, you know, it, it ranges from from five stars to no stars, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and there's plenty of each, you know, because everyone's got their opinions about things. But many people say, oh, you know, it's just about this was awesome and that was awesome. Or it's like VH1, I love the 80s. But uh, I don't mind that. If mm-hmm. that's not your cup of tea, that's cool. That's fine. But the thing is, it does go deeper. It, it mm-hmm. it's, it's a broader thing. There is so much there to chew on. And I think a lot of people like to posture themselves as I know it all. So mm-hmm. I'm above this. Mm-hmm. And that's fine, too. If, if that's if that's the way you want to uh, tell people about how you feel about it, but but I really think it's much more than that. And when people do say this is awesome, which they sure do uh, every now and then, it's because these these movies need and deserve a spotlight. You know, mm-hmm. we all know the franchises are awesome because mm-hmm. they kept on getting to do more. It's the these eclectic uh, eccentric titles that that came and went that you need to stop, look, and listen and pay attention. And 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 find out the merits of it or not, and and decide yourself if you want to see it or not. And having a bunch of people just say, 
listen, we all know it's not the greatest thing in the world, but things is ridiculous. And you can <laughs> yes, decide yes. for yourself. Yeah. Yes. If this is a movie that you just think you're just going to abhor, or you think it's really fun because it's it's a movie that you could love to bash, you know, it, it's about how you approach all of these things. You know, we try to approach all of these with a lot of optimism here. So that's we just get the enjoyment out of all of these. I'm I'm glad that you do that because I. I'm a pretty opt. I'm a I'm an optimist. I'm a mm-hmm. glass half full guy. And listen, I don't love everything. No right. one does. But I think spreading bile over stuff that you don't like, uh, it, it it it's really toxic and 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 it weighs you down. Now, listen, you don't have to say everything is great or or close your mouth entirely. Everyone's got their opinions. You know, I won't negate that uh, at all. But uh, you know, like a movie like like Edgar Wright's. Edgar writes sparks, you know, uh, I knew some sparks, but I was not a, an album. I, I, I owned one song and that was on the fright mm-hmm. night soundtrack. And guess what? That wasn't even in the documentary at right. all. They never even touched on that. <laughs> right. And I watched it and I, and, and I love that documentary through and through. And mm-hmm. at the very end, I'm yeah. like, no, it's great. Oh, they never did the song that I knew them from, but mm-hmm. These movies are very, very hard. Uh, these movies, if you if you want to have everything in it, uh, people will still not be satisfied that you didn't do it the way they want it. Um, people should be happy that it got made. Well, come on. No one was demanding unless you were uh, the Sparks brothers themselves, you know, no one was demanding <laughs> a Sparks documentary. But Edgar Wright was like, this is a story that needs to be told and got it on Netflix and everybody watched mm-hmm. it, watched it. And now we are in love with Sparks if mm-hmm. you weren't before. Um, right. And that's what, that's what why I think it's great about this, because about? it's yeah, it's it's it just instills that joy of the of the thing. I think I think very nicely puts even even like you said, even the people that are like, oh, we know it's not the best thing or whatever. They're still in a lot of cases, you know, looking back fondly at some of this stuff. And I think that really comes across and makes you more excited about uh, some of these things. And and as you said, it goes a bit deeper, too. Like, it's not just going, man, it was sort of racist in the 80s. Like you actually address that and go into that a little bit deeper rather than just be like, <laughs> that was bad. Moving on. Uh, and, and I thought and, that and, really and, contextualized and, a lot of stuff. And thanks for pointing that out. And that's one where we literally leave it at the very end. Like, you know, it, it's imperfect and make your own, draw your own conclusions. It's a messy thing, you know, but mm-hmm. I think it is worth, uh, if you don't point it out, then you are ultimately after a 14 hour examination of a decade, you are intentionally omitting it, you know? Uh, and so I wanted to, before I dropped the mic, I wanted to make sure that that was addressed. You know. All right, David. Well, thank you so much for joining us for almost an hour to talk about <laughs> yeah. In Search of Darkness Part 3. We could have gone uh, 14 and a half hours, I'm sure, just like this trilogy of films. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, talking about it. But uh, everybody go uh, check out and try to get their own physical copy because we love physical media here at yes. the show and throughout most horror fans love physical media. So get yourself Part 3, get yourself Part 2 and Part 1 and uh, look for In Search of Tomorrow, part one, and then soon, part two. Uh, yeah, In Search of Tomorrow, part two. And I, I don't think we even mentioned it, uh, but I'll just tease with the last thing I'll say is that uh, this fall, this October, we're going to be crowdfunding for In Search of Darkness 90s. 
And oh, it's going to be Search of Darkness 90s part one, because we're going to, we're breaking it up this time. And the first movie will be 1990 to 1994. And then the second one will be 95 to 99. So stay Love tuned. I will be, I'll All be right. watching with my arms crossed, just waiting for you to say stuff about Wishmaster and it, it better be right. <laughs> oh my goodness. You wish. <laughs> yes. Granted. All right, yeah. everyone. Uh, we'll see you in a couple of days for our regularly scheduled uh, program. Uh, but in the meantime, go get yourself some, some new Blu-rays. All right. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, David. Thank you. Thanks a lot, guys. It was a pleasure chatting with you. Likewise. Right. Thanks. Bye-bye. This has been a Two Penguins Media production. It was produced by James Strayer and edited by John C. Myers. Logo by Ethan Kimberling and music by Michael Arthur Holloway, who you can find on Bandcamp. Follow us on Instagram at ThisMayHurtABitPod and on Twitter at HurtABit. Email us at ThisMayHurtABit at gmail.com. And if you are so inclined, rate and review us on your favorite podcast app, and we'll see you next time.